This episode is sponsored by Exactuals, perfecting insurance payments and the data driving them. When was the last time that you actually pay a visit to the mainland? It's actually been over a year. So um, here, here in Grand Cayman, where I'm located, just south of Cuba, um, we were very strict during COVID and they shut down the airport, both in and out for a period of time. And now anybody coming in or coming out, uh, it actually takes a while to get off. You have to schedule pretty far in advance and there's pretty strict um, quarantine rules. So we haven't left for 14 months. I'd love to visit our home in California at some point. But until then, I guess we're gonna, just going to have to be stuck here in paradise. That's not a bad place to be stuck at. So tell me, you're originally from California. How did you end up in the Caymans? actually ended up in here in Grand Cayman off the back of our honeymoon. So back in 2006, my wife and I, um, we, didn't, we weren't quite aware of the hurricane season. We booked it for peak hurricane season in 2006. And um, in fact, on our wedding night, there was a hurricane headed straight for Cayman that was going to be hitting in a couple days. And I was a bit nervous because I was thinking our whole trip would be wrecked. But actually, um, on the wedding night, the next morning, the storm, which was Hurricane Ernesto, ended up hooking north and came and ended up getting away untouched. So the following day, we flew out from San Francisco to Grand Cayman. And when we arrived, it was pretty much an empty island because all the other tourists had been redirected. Anybody on a cruise ship wasn't stopping here and anybody flying in who could have, you know, who might have had travel insurance or ability to change their their trip, they uh, they changed their travels around. So we actually had this unique situation where we were here on an island and we were the only ones at the beach. And this was in late August. And um, it was hot. It was definitely hot and humid. But when you got the water nearby, it's, it's not too bad. And um, we spent about a week here and we liked it enough that we said, let's potentially consider moving back here. And less than a year later, uh, my wife and I, we both found jobs here. I joined a startup reinsurance company called Greenlight Re, and my wife um, started out um, temping until she found a, a full-time role. So we came out here thinking we'd do an adventure and we would probably spend a couple of years here while we're young. And uh, I look up and now 14 years later, we're still here. So now, it's home would, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Now, I would love to, piggyback on that and segue to green light tree and and you actually do nowadays with the root for as the head of reinsurance but before that let's finish that caribbean thing um so caribbeans a grand cayman is that part of the commonwealth do you play cricket what changed with you over the past 14 years (laughs) I, I personally don't play cricket, but it currently picks up the sports from the UK. But I would say it also picks up sports from places like Ireland and other countries. It's a really cosmopolitan place. Um, one thing I did pick up, I guess, over the years is I do say some of the terms that British people say, like potentially instead of going on vacation, you can go on holiday. Um, some things like government and hospital, you might not say the hospital or the, uh, the government. 
Um, but for the most part, I don't think I've really changed too much in terms of my um, how, how, I, how I go about things. It's a pretty international place, people from all over the world, and uh, everyone's cultures are really well respected here. I love the fact that Brent came in and Bermuda, we have a lot of insurance in there. We need to make sure that part of you know next business plan, we'll have the opportunity to visit you guys at you know those uh, hubs of insurance or especially reinsurance. What is the role of reinsurance in our world? What is the what role is the... of reinsurance in my world? Yes. In our so world. in my world at at in our world. Uh... <laughs> So first of all, reinsurance is really insurance for insurance companies of what reinsurance is or that insurance companies actually buy insurance themselves, but they do. And there's a number of reasons why an insurer would do such a thing. But I tend to think about for a number of reasons. One would be um, protection from severe events. So if you think about it, if you are very concentrated or exposed in a certain area, you might want to buy reinsurance from someone who's a global reinsurer that can spread their risk out. So if I was a Florida property writer of homeowners and condos and, and commercial properties, um, I could have a really good year if the wind doesn't blow and I can have a really bad year if it does blow. So the reason why I'd want to buy reinsurance is to protect myself against those years when the wind does blow and a huge hurricane hits because I could lose everything. But if you buy reinsurance, you can actually spread that risk. The reinsurer might have risks in Japan. They might have risks in Florida, Australia, Europe, all over the world. And they can make money in some areas that didn't get impacted by major events. And, and that can afford them to pay for events in other areas. So that's one reason why reinsurance exists. But there's numerous others where reinsurers are effectively a form of capital as well that's very nimble. So a lot of the reinsurers are really huge in the insurtech space because they support these insurtech fast-growing companies with their capacity as they grow. And with reinsurance, you know, they can be side-by-side -side with you or they can protect you from um, volatile events. And that's, in fact, that's something we have. Uh, we have both here. The route is, it's known for being, I believe the first mobile first digital insurance carrier where everything is sold through the phone. We do now have web and you can purchase insurance other ways. But the thing with, with Root was the whole idea was more and more people are going to be moving to their phones to make purchases. And our main line of business, auto personal auto insurance, can be per you can purchase your auto policy, which is mandatory pretty much in every state in the U.S. And you can purchase it all through your phone. And on top of that, the reason why it's also advantageous to have you know, mobile purchases, your phone these days, smartphones come with a number of sensors already embedded in them that can capture really valuable data that we can therefore use to underwrite that individual and take that information called telematics, telematics data to price them for their policy. So there's a number of things in a phone that you might not think about. And I believe a lot of them are probably used for either navigation or for video games, but you have a gyroscope in your phone, you have an accelerometer in your phone, you have a GPS and a number of other devices, another, a number of other sensors that really, it, when you put it all together and you capture this data, you can also get a good indication about how somebody drives behaviorally. 
And with that, we feel it's very powerful and predictive that if we can find those safer drivers, we can offer them a better price. Now, one of the previous guests that I had on the show is Robert Smith, and he is the founder And I think you mentioned Root, Motion Auto, and someone else as the only other legit uh, usage-based insurers. Um, And I hope that you can answer that. Um, What makes you guys special? How are you different from the other accelerated insurance providers? Yeah, it's, it's funny Robert said that. I, I really like Robert, and I've known him for a couple of years back when he was starting up Just, and I like him even more now. <laughs> no, but as far as uh, what might make Root different uh, in this aspect, probably we would point to the whole fact that we're a full-stack carrier and we own the operations, but we also have our own in-house telematics where all the technology is built in-house and we're not partnering with any third-party providers for the analysis, the capture, or any of that relating to the telematics data. We own all of it. We build the models all on it. And in our pricing, because everybody that we write is using telematics, we can make our rating models include telematics in the, you know, from the ground up as opposed to at the very end of a calculation over the top. Does it matter to you as reinsurance? using that to sell to the reinsurance? Yeah, it definitely does. So um, when we say I'm reinsurance, just for clarification, I'm not the one providing Root with reinsurance. I'm actually more the reinsurance buyer. So within Root, I'm purchasing reinsurance from third parties. And um, in some in some instances, people might refer to us as seated re or reinsurance buyer. Um, but I'm in a role where effectively the better Root is doing, the easier it is to find reinsurance because reinsurers can also be assured of the, the stability and the performance and profitability of our book. So if we're doing something different that gives us an advantage and we're presenting this to our reinsurance partners, if they see we're doing something that ultimately is an edge, that's something that a reinsurer would want to sign up for and it would want to back. And we do have a really broad panel of reinsurers who back us in fact, um, over 10 reinsurers, in fact, are supporting us today. And we plan to continue to grow that. So it's it's been great so far. And um, part of the reason I got brought on was to add this ev- extra level of sophistication to our program, because as we grow as a company, so would the sophistication of our reinsurance program. Have you seen over the past five years other trends that help you, that solidified it? Yes. No, definitely. And, um, you know, as, as, as horrible as COVID has been for pretty much everybody, um, it, it actually has had, uh, you know, I hate to say, but a little bit of posit- a positive impact, impact to uh, Root's business model. Um, you know, there's a couple things that effectively worked as a catalyst uh, in terms of what Root offers. And one of them is this whole digital purchasing. Um, I think you find that as more and more people are f- working from home and forced to be connected different ways, there's been a reduction in people going into agencies' offices 
and purchasing a policy in person or sitting in an office and making a purchase, there's been an increase of people doing this online. And Root is distributed this way. And, and so that's definitely been an increase. And anyone who's direct consumer or online is, has, has experienced a benefit from that. But then secondarily, you know, with COVID and the lockdowns that occurred starting in mid-March in the U.S., you actually found the people were driving less too. And as a result of them driving less, um, you know, they wanted discounts because if they're not driving as much as they used to, they say, hey, why am I paying for this insurance and, and paying for like I'm driving normal, but I'm not commuting anymore. I'm staying at home all the time. Um, show me that I could get a discount for it. And one way to prove that is to actually share your data where we're capturing that you're not going anywhere. And uh, we are pretty proud to say that, you know, at Root, there have been a number of insurance carriers that offer blanket discounts. I think the most common was maybe 10 or 15 or 20 percent off their policy premium as a result of the reduced driving that took place in COVID. But they offered them almost in a blanket discount. They, they gave it to everybody. And part of the reason is because they had no idea how to determine who drove less and who didn't. So in our case, in our program, we actually had our discount a function of how much they reduced their driving. So one of the rules was they had to keep their phone on so that we can keep tracking. And um, if anyone reduced their driving significantly, those people were the ones that earned a greater discount. And for those that didn't reduce their driving at all, they didn't get a discount. And so it was actually one of the fairest ways you can think about how to treat something like this. And we were one of the few companies that think they were able to do this type of um, program. What pledged to remove the credit from its underwriting in the next few years, I think by 2025 or 2026. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, that's correct. So um, last year, we did announce the pledge to remove credit score from our rating by 2025. Now, it's not something we've done right away, and um, it would cause a lot of disruption if we did, just because credit is currently embedded in our rating models. But, you know, this it made us kind of stop and think about things a bit, and, and there's, there's a number of reasons why someone would not want to use credit or somebody would, but maybe it would help to give you a little bit of the history of kind of why credit score is used to begin with, because um, a lot of people aren't even familiar, didn't even know that credit score is being applied to rating. But it was something that was starting to be used in the 90s. Um, companies like Progressive were one, among the first to use it. And it worked out really well for them because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie, credit score is very correlated to uh, risk and the loss ratio you get. And I believe credit, uh, Progressive found that by using this rating variable, that it was very predictive in terms of the whole that higher credit scores were additive to rating models to predict risk. So all other variables lined up, credit was also a predictor to add to that. Now, me, you know, it's not that we don't like credit score necessarily. I mean, we know that there are uses for it, but our view was just that there are certain groups when you use credit score that we believe are unfairly impacted. And, you know, there are correlations in credit score to things like socioeconomic status, um, a lot of people who are cash payers, they have no credit history. So if you pay for things in cash and you have no credit, um, you're going to have a bad credit score. You're not going to get as good of a rate as somebody that uses credit. 
Um, I think people who are younger tend to have less of a credit history. And so there's just a number of groups or as someone that had a medical catastrophe that caused them to go bankrupt. Imagine having a medical catastrophe that your medical bills are so expensive, you go bankrupt, and as a result, you can't make, you can't afford the payments, and then your rates go up because you you have a really bad credit score. Those are just some examples of scenarios where credit score can kind of really work against somebody, and these groups are the ones that we don't necessarily want to disadvantage. So our view is that you know credit, we get what it's trying to do, really, you know, paying your bills on time and things like that. It's a proxy for how you behave. It's a proxy for responsibility. But our view is why use a proxy for behavior when you can actually use behavior now that this, this type of technology exists? And we feel that people are coming around on it. I mean, there are already three states that don't allow credit today. There's Massachusetts, Hawaii, and California. And in fact, last week, I believe it was, Washington also announced that they're banning credit, at least short term. So it's possible this is a trend and we want to be out in front on the right side of these trends. And so our view is we have telematics, which is effectively an answer to something like this. And if we can use our telematics in in lieu of things like credit, um, it will take time to ultimately get everything out of the models and into and into telematics. But we're optimistic that the uh, the upside potential of using telematics and its predictiveness over time will only be more and more valuable, more predictive which means using things like credit um, will be reduced. And we also don't use other variables that might be correlated to someone's income, you know, degree attainment or occupation. Um, There are some um, carriers that rate based on what job you have and and what degree you have. But our view is we want to judge people based on how they drive, um, independent of something that might be correlated to their, their income or status. Let's go back a little bit and talk about uh, your role with the uh, Greenlight Three. So you work for for Greenlight or something like that. Um, so I actually started out as an analyst. I was a recently qualified actuary, and I joined the company uh, responsible for um, various components of pricing and reserving. And following that, I moved into an underwriter role. After a few years of being an actuary, um, you know, doing pricing, underwriting, capital modeling, moved into an underwriter role where I was involved in um, other aspects of the business. Um, we had an underwriting team where we were doing both actuarial and underwriting work for property catastrophe, for professional lines, for mortgage reinsurance, for you name it. We had a very, very broad, diverse mix. And then also um, even accident and health. I was an underwriter for an accident health book. Um, I was doing that all the way up to about a few years ago, where then I switched over to um, when we launched an innovation unit called Greenlight Re-Innovations. And while there, we were effectively a corporate venture capital unit, but I think we tend to prefer to uh, refer to it more as um, strategic investment unit. And, um, you know, we had never done that before. And so I think there was potentially some skepticism that, you know, how are you going to have some underwriters and actuaries go in and do a VC role? But we actually found that there's so much in common in terms of evaluating opportunities is very similar to how you would evaluate a reinsurance opportunity. Um, you're underwriting the management team, you're evaluating the market, you're looking at the business opportunity, you're structuring a deal, 
you're developing relationships and networking. And at the end of the day, you want to back your winners and put money down instead of putting capacity down on the reinsurance side, you can make an equity um, investment in them. And we found their sweet spot to be seed stage companies because they're early enough that the things that we can offer, whether it be actuarial, underwriting, claims, finance, various support on the, on the insurance side, we can accelerate these companies and even provide them with reinsurance capacity. So a lot of the companies we supported when, we were at, when I was at Greenlight Re were um, MGAs. And um, we supported them at early stage. We led a lot of those rounds. And um, it, was, it was great because you got to meet with so many really smart people, entrepreneurs doing great things. And over the course of that couple of years, we spoke to a few hundred different startups. And ultimately we ended up doing, um, in the time I was there, 12 investments in these companies. And um, a lot of them are doing really well today, um, continuing to raise money, continuing to grow, continuing to prosper. And um, I have to admit, when I was doing that, I have to say, I, I didn't think I would ever change from doing that type of role. Um, but this opportunity at Root was just a golden opportunity to, to join one of these insure tech type, type companies, but at a later stage. And um, I got to come in and do their reinsurance. And it almost felt like it was a perfect fit because I had been on the other side of the table as a reinsurer for so long that being in this side of the table and being the buyer, I have a better idea of what a reinsurer cares about, what they want to see, what they want, what you want, what they want uh, in terms of data and what we need to perform on. And so it was a very um, good transition. And um, in addition to being on the reinsurance side, I also touch a number of aspects of the business, whether it be actuarial, finance, et cetera. So um, as much as I loved doing, um, doing a venture capital investing at Greenline, it was a, a great opportunity. Um, I'm also extremely thrilled to be here. So um, I've been very fortunate, I have to admit, I've been very fortunate to end up in the roles and have the opportunities I've had. And so I'm just, I wanna make the most of them. Lessons learned or tips that you can give other head of reinsurance for other stuff? Yeah. Um, regarding reinsurance, um, reinsurers don't like surprises. I don't think anybody likes surprises, but reinsurers definitely don't like surprises. And I think the best thing you can do is be as transparent as possible and um, report significant amounts of data and provide updates regularly keeping them posted so that you're not talking to them at the beginning of a treaty and then never talking to them again until a year later. Um, things like quarterly updates are good to have with reinsurers. Um, you know, it, in general, it's just good to catch up. And, and one thing that I am, you know, I, I wish I could have done, but been restricted on travel was I, I'd love to meet with all of our reinsurance partners who've been so supportive of, of us over the years and meet them in person because, you know, virtual meetings are great. And I know it's efficient to be able to do everything from your home at your desk, but it's just not quite the same as going out and having a, having a beer with somebody or seeing somebody in their office and getting on the road. You know, it's just, it's just very different in terms of how you could bond with somebody and learn more about them. It's much more personal. Like you, for example, I mean, we're talking on the phone now, but I feel like I know you really well because of our interactions in person more than our interactions on the phone or through video calls. And um, I think, you know, I, I hope you don't lose some of that. 
Yeah, as technical as a VC may be, or as technical as a reinsurer is that might be focused on the numbers, the economics, et cetera. Now, at the end of the day, so much of it comes down to the relationship and if somebody's a right fit for the relationship. So um, not everything is going to be uh, easy and smooth and going well. And if you have a relationship, it's a lot easier to go through that with somebody if uh, difficult times and coming out of those difficult times with a successful result if you have that relationship. And um, I'm, I'm really pleased with the relationships I've built over the years with people throughout the industry, whether they're, you know, startups or um, reinsurers or insurers, various contexts. And I can't emphasize that enough for anybody in their career, you know, to, they, they should get out there and network. If, if they don't, you know, if they can't necessarily travel, reach out to someone on LinkedIn, uh, attend these webinars, attend podcasts, listen in, because there's a lot that you're missing in the outside world if you're not, if you're not looking outside the walls of your own office um, or of your own company. And um, I, I can't, you know, if I think about all the opportunities and how they kind of come together, it's hard to kind of point to one single approach for what's most successful, other than just always having an open, outgoing, um, you know, approach to things to try to meet new people and find out about new opportunities, because you never know where that next opportunity will come, but that'll only come if you're out there and, and meeting with people. What's your take on the latest uh, activity in the insurtech industry? Beautiful is a good way to describe it. Um, exciting, definitely exciting. Um, just a few years ago, I think most of the activity you probably would have found in private transactions, um, venture-backed rounds, um, not a handful, but not, not too many companies out there that you'd be aware of. And, and now every time you look up, there's a, there's a new company going public in some form or being acquired or doing the acquiring. So, I mean, as you know, uh, Lemonade and, and Root went public last year uh, through a more traditional IPO process. But there have been a number of companies since that have gone the SPAC route, but it doesn't end there. There's also um, acquisitions. Really Bold Penguin was acquired by American Family and, um, you know, First Title acquired a more traditional company. Um, there's a number of, of opportunities out there and it's exciting. There's definitely um, a lot of capital coming this way. And I believe, you know, we're not sure yet who the winners and the losers are going to be in all this but there's definitely excitement um, for the space. And I think it's, you know, it's been a long time coming. Everything is spec, 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 spec. Do you see, or have you identified other criticism? Yeah, I mean, there's naturally gonna be people who are more bullish on this and some people who are less, you know, there's a whole spectrum of how, <laughs> how keen someone is on an insurtech space. But I'd say if you were to look at insurtechs and you were to look at, call it incumbents or uh, others in the industry, um, the main criticism you probably find about insurtechs um, probably relates to some of the more traditional metrics that are very important, but you know the traditional metrics that people look at, like uh, loss ratio, expense ratio, combined ratio. At the end of the day, you do need to have a good loss ratio to perform and um, you know to, to, to be profitable, right? You need to... Um, spend out more money or spend out less in loss and expense than you bring in premium. I totally get that. Um, it's just that with insurtechs, a lot of them that are still in growth mode, 
they do operate at a loss, just like any startup is more likely going to do. But um, that's that's an area where I think you find a lot of insurtechs face criticism. Um, that and just their their rapid growth. So you know, I have to be honest. I I've been on the other side, and and from the outside, if you look at a lot of the startups out there, you look at their their loss ratio and put it on a like for like basis, or you look at their valuations on a price to book multiple or, or things along those lines. Um, insurtechs are trading at higher multiples. Insurtechs are um, operating with higher um, loss expense and combined ratios. But the other thing they are doing is what's growing fast is also learning fast and catching up. And their mechanism might be something that's more scalable in terms of how they deliver the product, or maybe the type of product they offer is preferable, or maybe it's a better customer experience. All these things are things that maybe over time, yeah, to start, maybe it's a ex high expense ratio, but as you get scale, you then have an edge over a traditional business and you can continue to um, to expand further. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to compare it to this, but take a look at Amazon, for example, right? Amazon started out selling books online. And um, I don't think any retailers like Walmart or others were necessarily too concerned about them because... You know, I think people knew that the web was the future and that people would be doing things online. But did, did anyone predict that Amazon would not only expand beyond books, but other products and to a point where they have their own marketplace with third party sellers and that they'd be the largest um, web, web Amazon web services like that they would have that and be their most profitable arm of the company or that they would be a logistical powerhouse? Um, competing with the likes of FedEx and UPS and the U.S. Postal Services in terms of delivery. I mean, at the beginning, they were selling books online, but you look at Amazon now and they're even in the streaming business. So um, it's hard to say where a company is going to go, but I will say that those that are kind of built for growth and built for scale and have a bunch of smart people doing interesting things, they're probably the ones that are best positioned to be able to get into that new product or to tap the new addressable market or to do the new something new that hasn't been done before. That's another thing that people point at is they like to look at the market as it is today and assume it's going to be static that way forever. Um, I know the auto market is huge, but it's going to change. And I don't know what personal auto will look like in the future, but you have the rise of things like autonomous vehicles, mobility as a service, um, it's, it's going to evolve. And I think it's good to be kind of on the cutting edge because if you're in the cutting edge, I think you're going to more likely um, be out in front of that and be able to adapt. Is there a success formula or a formula for success for startups, something that a founder or something to this point can say, aha, I'm missing one variable to my own equation. Yeah, I don't think that there's one single formula for success. And if you look at successful companies, you know, they might have become successful in different ways. But if I were to point to the insure tech world, and if I were to set up a company today, or if I were to look at what I think is a good model, um, I think that it's very important to have a very good combination of insurance expertise, as well as tech expertise. And often that's not gonna come from the same person. So if you take Root, for example, right? We have a CEO, Alex Tim, young guy, but wise beyond his years. 
he's an insurance guy through and through. He, he wanted to start an insurance company since he was a kid. His father ran an insurance company. So he knows insurance. It's been part of him. He's probably been in the industry technically longer than most people well older than him, but he always wanted to be in the space. Now he's also very tech savvy, but he's not our tech person. He knew that that's something that he would bring in to the company. And so in addition to people like Alex and others in our company who have years or decades of experience in the space and they know the insurance industry inside and out, we also have people who come from the outside and they come from Silicon Valley tech. They come from aviation finance. They come from different industries, extremely smart, never been in the industry before, but they're willing to learn it. And that's one thing I say is a huge criteria for somebody because there's a lot of people that are very smart that have no interest in entering the insurance industry. So that's already um, a huge hurdle to find smart people that enter our industry because we've done a horrible job of, of um, making the industry look attractive to, to I would say, a lot of the, the talent out there. People kind of usually fall into it. But if you have these, call it outsiders or tech experts or creative innovators that are coming in and they have ideas from Silicon Valley and other places, Amazon or Instagram or, you know, PayPal, and they come into a company like Root and they have these ideas. Some of them might not work out well, but they'll have a lot of ideas and they know about product. They know about customer experience. And that's also something that I think the insurance industry hasn't necessarily done that well. And if you take that and you combine it with these insurance, seasoned insurance veterans, not all seasoned insurance veterans, but just those ones that have an open mind about trying something new, because there are a lot that say that'll never work. I know that'll never work. They're just adamant that this is the way it's been done for the last three decades. This is the way it's always going to be done. But if they have the opening of that didn't work because, and if the because is now something that technology or an approach can address, then now you have a seasoned insurance expert that knows what the problem is, but didn't know the tech solution or didn't have the tech capability to fix it. And tech people from the outside that can potentially address these problems when they work together and they have a pretty equal voice, I think some really good things can happen at a company. I feel that's what's happening at Root. Um, we have a very good combination of diverse experience, diverse backgrounds. And if you compare our makeup in terms of who works at Root compared to other companies, it's definitely... I would say a younger crowd in general, but it's not only young people. It's very diverse across the board. No matter how you look at diversity, um, Root is quite, quite diverse. So we are the same question I'm asking everyone. Can you provide a recommendation of a book, uh, a movie or something that, or a life hack or anything that you're dealing with, with not insurance during lockdown. So um, I know a lot of your interviews, you have people recommend books, and I feel I'm definitely lacking in this space because I'm not too much of a book reader. I do read a lot, and I do enjoy learning, but I find that books to me just take too long, um, too many hours of uh, time that I simply don't have. Um, but one thing I would recommend that I tried out during the lockdown that I found to be quite interesting is and maybe it's it's um you know anyone that enjoys reading a book they would hate this type of idea but there is an app called blinkist that i've downloaded and i signed up for a one-year membership during lockdown and the number of books that i could listen to 
that, you know, the audio goes about 15 minutes per book. And I, I know just glosses over, but you can get through so many books and get all the high level points from it um, just in an evening. You know, at night when I'm working on something, I can have that in the background and just listen in. Or, you know, if I'm just relaxing, I can I can play that and I can go through like four books in an hour. And um, so I, I don't necessarily recommend books to people because I might be recommending a Blinkist book that's totally different if you actually read it um, cover to cover. But I have found that to be really cool. Um, I think it's perfect for someone like me who um, I'm very into efficiency of time and, um, and time management. And um, it's, it's perfect for someone who, who kind of feels like they don't have too much free time to spare. Isaac, thank you very, very much for joining me today. Elad, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here.